Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, hosted on Beachhead Media and other podcasting platforms. Aaron has served as a pastor, a chaplain, a professor, a writer, and a speaker, and he has keen interest in helping other Christians think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral theology, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we're going to be asking the question, will Christianity be outlawed? Now, it's not our intention to be sensationalistic, but we do want to keep you, our listeners, informed and awakened to what is going on in the culture of the Western world. And as surprising as it might sound and hard to imagine, it is the case that Western culture is trending toward the outlawing of Christianity. So Aaron, I know persecution always precedes the outlawing of Christianity, and it usually follows a certain trend. So maybe you could tell us what that trend is and where we are at in that process. Yeah. I I think we might have done an episode maybe a year or two ago on the stages of persecution. So people could thumb through our, our archives and look for that as well. But, um, I want to begin by saying that a lot of people are far too optimistic when it comes to what's taking place in culture, or maybe a better word is far too trusting. They tend to think, well, you know, things are bad, but really it's going to be outlawed. I kind of doubt it. They argue that we aren't being persecuted. And some would even say, like, unless we're literally being imprisoned or put to death or burned at the stake, Mm -hmm. then, you know, Christianity is still a viable option in, in the West. And I think that trust that people have is largely based upon an over-reliance they have on the protective mechanisms that historical Christians have put in place in the Western world, Mm -hmm. which I would argue are pretty leaky or have just fallen over. Um, There tends to be an over-reliance upon the courts or or police services to to protect us. You know, we have this notion, well, the government won't let that happen. They're going to be, they're going to protect us from Mm -hmm. from that kind of uh, tyranny. Or politicians, why don't we just wait for another election round and elect different people and they'll protect us from the challenges of the day. Well, it's true that certain governments are going to slow down the the momentum toward the outlawing of Christianity. Um, but the tr- the overall trajectory is, is moving, I believe, in that direction. But people have this notion, well, the courts are going to protect us or the government's going to protect us or we have the police as our, our last line of defense. Well... Two things people need to be reminded of. This kind of stuff has happened before in human history. Uh, there have been countries that have been Christian that are mm-hmm. that are now uh, within which Christianity is, is outlawed. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the fundamental belief system and worldview of biblical Christianity is at variance. It's at variance. It's, it's at odds. Uh, with the public narrative that we so often are exposed to today through our educational institutions, corporations, and media corporations. It is at variance. Take, for instance, the word inclusive. We could use the word inclusive. They could use the word inclusive, but we mean two entirely different things. Their version of inclusive is accept, champion. I'm going to give some examples to this effect. Accept, champion, and promote godless antichrist ideologies. Our version of inclusivity is, look, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And 
Jew, Greek, slave, free, man, woman can be included in God's covenant of grace by surrendering themselves to Christ, repenting of their sins, and becoming part of the Christian church. So we do believe in a certain kind of inclusivity, that everyone is a sinner, and that when we repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can all come before the throne and receive mercy in our time of need. We have access to the Father through prayer and so forth. But that's not the kind of inclusivity that we we hear in the world. And plus, people need to realize persecution doesn't just out of the blue happen. It doesn't just suddenly go from, oh, Christianity is legal to Christianity is illegal. It follows more or less some predictable stages. And those stages vary depending on whether you're in a Christianized or non-Christian culture. So in Acts 5, in the first century, obviously the Christian church was in a non-Christianized culture. Mm -hmm. It had been Judaized, but there was all the Roman pagan influences. So if you look at Acts 5, the persecution that Christians experienced there was very abrupt. Mm -hmm. So there's jealousy from the Pharisees to the apostles. They're then immediately arrested. They're forced forcibly taken off the scene, put put in prison. They're then released and told to stop preaching, and they keep preaching, and there's absolute fury by the ruling elite toward the Christians, and they have to get out of Dodge. People think, well, that's how it's going to happen in our day and age. No, it's not going to happen that way. It, it will take a different form, a different expression. It'll be more nuanced. It'll take long a longer period of time in Canada and the United States and even between those two countries, it'll it'll vary, or the UK, compared to the first century, you know, ancient Near East or Greco-Roman world. So um, let me just kind of outline in broad strokes the general pattern that I think we should expect to see in terms of stages of persecution in Canada and in the US and in the UK and in the Western world. The first thing you would expect as Christianity moves towards from from legal and champion to being outlawed is some isolationistic tactics. So they will isolate Christians to uh, a fringe status. And a lot of that is based upon verbiage. So they'll call you things like, well, you're you're Bible thumpers, or you're fundamentalists, or you're far right. They'll use language that is kind of offensive, that frames you up as being weird or distinct or odd or kind of a a bit of an extremist, you'll slowly start to be verbally isolated. So isolation is generally the first step. Then there's stigmatization, which which overlaps. Um, Stigmatization would be, I I remember, for example, when, um, when we were being interviewed by the CBC reporter in Quebec, who was respectful in his approach, but clearly had a certain worldview. And at some point, he asked me a question to the effect of like, something like, why does it bother you so much? Or why are you so upset about this? Like, why why are you so upset about what's happening in culture? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the implication there is that you shouldn't be, or at least it's strange and unusual to be upset about endless gay pride celebrations, endless gay pride marches, endless mandates, endless lockdowns, or at least repeated lockdowns, to be more more accurate. Um, the 
woke agenda, cultural Marxism. Like, why are you so upset about those things? Well, because they're category 10 issues. They're incredibly destructive. But you're sort of stigmatized, this notion, well, you're sort of opposed to everything. You even hear this from our prime minister, where when he's ranting against his his opponents, he'll say things like, well, you're dividing, you know, you're making a big deal, you're always bringing the culture wars into things. Well, they're kind of like everything, that's why. But there's a stigmatizing language. And then there's marginalization. It's like, well, you can stay, you can still be a Canadian, but don't expect to hold positions of influence. I remember this way back when Stockwell Day was uh, kind of leading the Reform Party. And I believe, if I recall correctly, this is several years ago, he was maybe a Pentecostal pastor, a youth pastor in his younger days. And people were pulling clips from past sermons or past statements he's made. Like, Do you really want this guy? Do you really want a Christian, an evangelical, a Pentecostal of all things running the country? It's like, well, why not? They stigmatize you. Or Leslin Lewis, who probably needs to do a better job in standing up for things, but she's a conservative uh, MP in Canada, and she's a a vocal Christian. It's like, do you really want someone like that uh, leading your nation? Somehow somehow we have this notion that if you're a left-leaning liberal, Mm -hmm. you're not really open to criticism and that you you naturally qualify for political office and that, you know, people may disagree with your policies, but you you sort of qualify. Like you're the kind of person that we would expect would be running a liberal democracy like Canada. But if, God forbid, if you're a Christian, then it's like, whoa, it's like this person's a dangerous person. This is far right. This is extremist language. Um, The CBC hit piece that was done on a group of us last year with the podcast has those undertones in it. Mm-hmm. Um, even recently, a Canadian politician, Pierre Polyev, finally got around to chastising the notion of um, transgender kids, mm. uh, that they shouldn't be, that, in other words, that um, we shouldn't be allowing kids to, to transition from boys to girls. And it's on like every news headline. And yeah. the implication is, this is really? Like, yeah. th- this guy believes this? Well, yeah, kind of like every civilization since the beginning of time, mm-hmm. with a few subgroups as exceptions. Not that he's a Christian. Don't com- I-, I don't want to communicate that. But at least he's standing for something that we would stand, f- stand for. And then the other way I would see marginalization happening is in what the government funds and what it doesn't fund. So they'll send grants to the uh, anti-hate mm-hmm. network, which is actually a pro-hate network here in Canada, um, basically opposed to anything Christian or, or Western, historically Western. Um, they'll send money, you know, spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on police services mm-hmm. to guard and protect gay pride celebrations through the streets of Toronto. But, you know, God forbid if people that aren't allowed to cross the the bridge under lockdown protests, and all of a sudden, <gasps> can't believe it cost the policing services so much money to mm-hmm. shoo these rabble rousers off the foot of the bridge or off the you know Coots border or out of the streets of Ottawa. But we're okay with spending money on people marching half naked, twerking and provocatively dressing through the streets of our big cities. Like that's mm-hmm. somehow that's somehow normal. So they normalize one of the ways that you know you're 
you're being marginalized is when they normalize groups that should be marginalized and marginalized groups that should be normalized. Mm -hmm. And then there's penalties, whether it's firings, we'll talk about this a little bit more, fines, you know, jail time, hate crime le legislation. That's kind of the stage we're in right now, by the way, where there's, there's threats of fines. Obviously, under lockdown, guys were charged, thrown in jail for standing up for their religious beliefs. And then at some point, it becomes outlawed. But I don't think Christianity will ever be outlawed in the sense that you cannot be a Christian in mm -hmm. Canada. I don't think that's going to happen. But it'll undermine the beliefs of Christianity so deeply that to be a faithful biblical Christian, yep. not just someone that wears the tag, but a faithful biblical Christian who is living out their faith within their churches and within their jobs and within their homes and within their societies, that I believe sooner or later will be outlawed. Hmm. So they will undermine it to the point that it, for all intents and purposes, it won't even be true Christianity. It'll be a a, um, a falsified, inauthentic version of Christianity. It'll be like what we see in China. So in China, sometimes people think that Christianity is outlawed in China. That's not true. That's not true. In China, if you take the word Christian and use it in its broadest cultural sense, mm -hmm. there are government-sanctioned churches. They're called three-self churches. I don't remember what all that stands for, but I think one of them is they need to be like self-governing, and the second one might be something like not influenced by foreign denominations mm -hmm. or foreign—I can't remember what the third one is, but the three self-churches are state-sanctioned churches in China, but those pastors are state-trained, mm -hmm. and the doctrine and beliefs and the practices of those churches are overseen by the communist government, mm -hmm. right? But— it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that when that happens, you eventually end up with a falsified version of Christianity. So the, the communist government can say on one hand, no, Christianity is not, not illegal in China. You can be a Christian. Go to one of our certified churches, mm -hmm. our registered churches. Yep. But we're going to be watching what you say, preach, do, you know, how you speak against the government, and on and on and on. So for all intents and purposes, you have an apostate church. Right. And faithful churches have to meet underground and once a year, whenever the government gets their shorts in a knot, they'll kick the door in and arrest you and make a make a uh, spectacle of you to show that they're still in charge. So, Chris, I would put it this way. Um, I doubt that anyone, even in the next 20 to 30 years in Canada, is ever going to come out and say, Christianity is officially outlawed. Mm -hmm. that, that's not going to happen. But it's moving in the direction where faithful Christianity will be outlawed. Mm -hmm. The faithful expression of the Christian faith will be outlawed. Trend watchers see this. Prophetic voices see this. People that are keen students of culture see the trajectory. They, they see the isolation of Christians in corporations, in government, in educational institutions. They see the stigmatization of the Christian gospel and Christian beliefs. They see the marginalization of Christians to the peripheries of culture. They're starting to see those penalties enacted or threatened to be enacted. And that will then set the stage for the practical outlawing of Christianity. Now, this, this could still be reversed uh, because nations throughout history rise and fall. 
but I suspect, I strongly suspect, I would, I would go as far as to say I now believe that in a relatively short period of time, we, we are on the brink of seeing Christianity in its faithful biblical form mm-hmm. outlawed in several Western countries, and Canada is probably going to be one of the forerunners in that um, sad state of affairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we'll, well, we'll talk about that more in a minute. I was going to say much of the effort to outlaw Christianity does happen at a, a grassroots level, like a, a societal level. So you might think of things like being portrayed negatively through the media, right? Um, but could you start maybe with some legal examples? Because we already have some precedent for this. Yeah. Let me share a few from Canada and from the U.S. And uh, if you're listening from a country outside of Canada, the U.S., there's obviously, you can you can s- s- probably are seeing similar sorts of things in your in your own country. So in the news this week, and perhaps even last week, is a new Canadian bill being presented in Parliament. It's called a private member's bill, meaning it's not being presented by the um, governing party or the official opposition. It's being presented, I believe, by the leader of the Bloc Quebecois, Mm -hmm. which is more of a separatist federal party in Canadian politics, but it has a fair bit of uh, a fair, fair bit of representation Mm -hmm. in our um, House of Commons. It's a private member's bill. It's called Bill C. Uh, 367. And there actually is no text to the bill. So the bill is not giving us new laws. Mm -hmm. There's no written text to the bill that says, okay, we want to add this to a Canadian statute or criminal code. Rather, it's two statements to repeal, to remove Mm -hmm. some protections, some religious freedoms protections from the criminal code. So I'm going to read it. The bill says... Criminal Code 1, bracket 1, paragraph 319, bracket 3, bracket B, of the Criminal Code is repealed. Number 2, paragraph 319, bracket 3.1, bracket B, of the Act is repealed. So the bill, Bill 367, is not intending to add new material Mm -hmm. to our Criminal Code. It wants to remove two paragraphs. From the criminal code, so the question is, what are those sections exactly. that want to be uh, they want eliminated from the criminal code? So, three nineteen in the criminal code, the broader section three nineteen relates to the incitement of hatred, and there's some discussion in there about people that might deny the, the Holocaust or be involved in hate crime. So, the, the 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 section of the code is, what do we do with people who are guilty of inciting hatred? Well, historically, there are two uh, two or three different critical statements in the criminal code that basically protect people. So if I'm a Christian and I say, well, based upon my religious text, which is the Bible, I disagree with ABC. So if I disagree with something, I disagree with someone's lifestyle, I disagree with someone's behavior, I disagree with someone's belief— I can, based upon my religious beliefs, speak out against that and not be guilty of a hate crime. Mm -hmm. They want to remove that so that now there's no, you can never appeal to your religious beliefs in order to speak out against something that the courts or politicians have deemed a hate crime. So let me read uh, section 3.9 or 319 section, uh, let let me start over again, 319 bracket 3. 
Okay, so here's what it says. It says, no person, no person shall be convicted of an offense under subsection 2. I'll read subsection 2 momentarily. A, if he establishes that the statements communicated were true. B, if in good faith the person expressed or attempted to establish by an argument, an opinion, or a religious subject, or an opinion based on a belief in a religious text, Mm. 319.3.1b, if in good faith they expressed or attempted to establish by an argument, an opinion on a religious subject, or an opinion based on a belief in a religious text, end quote. So you're not guilty of inciting hatred in the current criminal code if you can establish that your opposition to a group, an ideology, a particular practice, a lifestyle, falls within the category of an argument based upon a religious Mm -hmm. text. So just to make this a little clearer, I promised that I would read subsection 2. So we're going back up. So section 2, so going back to uh, 3.319 section 3, it says, no person shall be convicted of an offense under subsection 2. So what is subsection 2? Subsection 2 is entitled the willful promotion of hatred. So everyone, the the text read, the criminal code reads currently, everyone who by communicating statements other than in private conversation willfully promotes hatred against an identifiable group is guilty of A, an indictable offense, and is liable to imprisonment for a term not exceeding two years, or B, an offense punishable on summary conviction. Hmm. So... What this means, if it's not clear yet for folks, is that if a group is deemed to be the the target of, we'll say, a hate crime by a Christian. So let's take the LGBTQ groups, the transgender groups, the cultural Marxists, the BLM, whatever group happens to be popular right now, and you say, actually, I disagree with you. I think you're lifestyle is sinful. Mm -hmm. I think it's contrary to God's laws. I think you need to cease and desist. If you say something like that, because my religious beliefs compel me to tell you that, currently you're protected. Mm -hmm. So you can say, I believe that heterosexual sex within the confines of marriage is the only permissible expression of intercourse human sexuality, because the Bible says so. I can say that, and I'm like, I'm not guilty of a hate crime. Mm -hmm. But what they want to do is they want to remove that. They want to say, well, you you can no longer appeal to your faith. Mm -hmm. And this applies, by the way, to other faiths too, Muslims, Hindus, whatever. And so if you speak out against a group, and we all know how often, for instance, the transgender movement appeal, or hate crimes, you hate us, you Mm -hmm. hate us. They just kind of, hatred, by the way, is an emotion. Like, how do you even know if someone's, hating someone else, but apparently that's now something the government knows, right? They, they can judge your motives. Apparently we're not supposed to judge motives, but they can judge your motives. So the whole hate crime stuff is nonsense in the first place, but there's no more protections. Mm-hmm. Now I looked this up. Ledger Research uh, did a uh, some sort of a poll, and they discovered that two-thirds of Canadians support this. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I know why. 
And I think I know what the current motive is by the Bloc Quebecois leader, anti-Semitism in Quebec. Mm-hmm. The Muslims are out in the streets chanting hate, hatred and insults against the Jews. So they want to use that as a pretext, mm-hmm. uh, as a way of stopping anti-Semitism, supposedly, by removing this protection under the criminal code. But the whole Gaza-Palestinian conflict will eventually run its course and will be out of that. It'll be out of the news cycle. Mm-hmm. The more dominant problem in the broader media is Christian speaking against DEI, mm-hmm. against the transgender movement, against the pride movement, against cultural Marxism. So, Chris, I think this is, I mean, this is a blatant example mm-hmm. of this will be used against Christians. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Without question. There, this will be used against Christians. Exhibit B, to refresh all of our memories, Bill C-4, the conversion therapy bill. The conversion therapy bill says in its preamble that essentially that heterosexual, uh, heterosexual normalcy, this notion that man, a man and woman having sex together in marriage, that that's somehow the norm, mm-hmm. that's a myth. So that is a direct assault upon the word of God. And therefore, already, present tense, on this date, in the Criminal Code of Canada, we have a statement that mythologizes the Bible. It mythologizes our religious text, which now is further being undermined by Bill 367. So the stage is set. It's already there. So if I promote, if I say to someone, no, you need to conform your sexual expression to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, under the under Bill C-4, which every MP, every member of parliament in our country voted in favor of or yep. at least abstained from, that's part of the criminal code already. Uh, then we have Exhibit C. Let's go back a couple years. You got to close your churches down because we told you you had to close your churches down. Mm-hmm. You're going to jail. You're experiencing exorbitant fines. Now, apart from... I, I'm not. I'm not um, optimistic or hopeful that people have fully understood what happened during mm-hmm. the pandemic. Yep. So rather than arguing again for a certain pandemic response, let me just say this: regardless of what you think happened with vaccinations, or regardless of how deadly or not so deadly that virus was. Putting all that aside, Mm -hmm. what we saw in the pandemic for the first time in Canadian history is the government exerting force, Mm -hmm. forceful compliance over the Christian church. I don't know if people realize this, but that's historically unprecedented in Western history, Mm -hmm. where a democratic government says, we have absolute control over your worship schedule as a Christian church, mm-hmm. and we will imprison your pastors if they don't comply. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give one more exhibit D. We could go on and on and on. Charitable law. Now, this predates me, and so it probably feels more normal. People haven't thought much about this, but in 1967, so before I was born, so called charitable law was developed in Canada. 
Uh, we now have a charities directorate. So you can go on the website. You can look up the Canadian Charities Directorate. You can Google search whatever, 80, 85, 90,000 different charities across our country. And the idea there is, is that the government decides who gets charitable status and who doesn't get charitable status. Mm -hmm. They get to decide who's doing true charitable work. Yep. Charity, by the way, is a biblical concept. Basically means showing love to your neighbor, benevolence. Um, historic charities were like agricultural institutions, educational institutions, churches, street missions. Um, the government now says, we decide, you have to register with us, we decide who's truly a charity and who's not. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's some sense to that, so that not everyone's collecting donations and just squandering it on whatever, their own property or their own vacations or whatever. Like mm -hmm. I understand there should be some regulations in place, but what's interesting is that prior to 1967, if you go back to 1917, mm -hmm. we had something called the, the Income Tax War Act. And under the Income Tax War Act, there was no, there was no list of Canadian charities. The Income Tax War Act just simply acknowledged that if you are uh, involved in charitable work, you're a church, you're an agricultural organization, you're an educational institution, you're tax exempt, you don't have to register with us, there's no registration that needs to happen. Yeah. You're doing charitable work, therefore you're not, you're, you, we're not gonna charge you taxes when your, your efforts are benefiting society. Yeah. Keep in mind, by the way, that charities that are properly functioning reduce tax rates because they, they reduce, so for instance, uh, studies have been done on this, when Christian churches do quote unquote charitable work, uh, your taxes go down. Mm -hmm. So you you have fewer broken uh, homes, you have fewer people living in poverty, you have fewer drug addicts, you have fewer B and E's. Mm -hmm. Your your police services is isn't kept hopping because the more you promote Christian morality in a culture, the more you have stability in a family level, mm -hmm. in business, and so forth. And as a result of that, you don't have to pay it as much in social services because the government doesn't have to do as much policing, right? But when churches are forced or charities are forced to now register with the government, well, now the government has you in a stranglehold and they can say, oh, and by the way, if you say this or say that, we're going to take your charitable status away. And they're essentially playing the role of God. Yep. So I understand the need for charitable oversight, but there already have been public calls to take their status away, mm -hmm. to take that church's status away if they don't promote whatever ideology happens to be in vogue in the present. And I think that's going to happen. And you heard it here maybe first. Mm -hmm. I believe that most churches will comply with those edicts. Yep. They will comply by either just being silent, which is probably how the majority of them are going to comply. If the government says you cannot speak out against, for instance, homosexuality, you cannot, you, you cannot preach about that in a sermon. You cannot uh, post on your website sermons or articles that in any way, shape, or form are considered... Uh, defamatory or uh, inflammatory or hurtful or hateful against an identifiable group. Mm -hmm. And if you do, we're going to take your charitable status away. It's only a matter of time. And I believe the ma vast majority of churches are unprepared for that. And even if they suspect that they will comply, they'll just stop preaching those subjects. Mm -hmm. Just like th the three self church in China. It's self-preservation, right? It's guys that are paid by the churches 
that can't lose their jobs. It's people that are afraid to be in the media. It's people that have bad theology about what it means to live out your faith in Christian culture. Those are just those are four examples of what we're seeing in Canada on a legal level, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's putting a restraint on the gospel in terms of their their the uh, the gospel is now bound by the law. It can't go certain places, and they won't let it go certain places. And of course, there's those that say, "Well, that's not the gospel. The gospel has nothing to do with uh, sexual regulations." Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna show that a little bit later on in the podcast. But yeah. the whole of the Christian Bible is um, is under threat. Yep. because of these kinds of um, attempts by the government to to promote an agenda and to silence any dissenting voice or any alternative view of human sexuality is probably the big one. Yeah. Now, we have some American listeners that tune into the podcast. What is going on in the States for them? They may have, they may not be familiar with C4 and whatever else yeah. other than the explosive. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they, they should be because... Canada is only a few years ahead of the U.S. Mm. Now, we're, we're a smaller country uh, population-wise, maybe around 40 million. So let's just say roughly one-ninth or one-tenth. But um, many of these ideologies that take root in Canada actually are conceived in the United States. And they tend to be hemmed in by, um, by state law mm-hmm. or by... Um, various, uh, the, the Americans just tend to be more organized in terms of activism, more politically engaged, yep, less sure. passive, probably more patriotic, which are good things. Um, but these ideologies are ripe in the big cities of the U.S. So you you go to conservative states, red states, in the United States of America, and there is a generally a vast distinction between people living outside of their big urban centers and people living in suburbs or, 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 or uh, rural areas. Mm-hmm. But you go to like the big cities in the United States and you're going to have all the same stuff that we see in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, same kind of nonsense. So I think it's, I think it's wise for Americans to pay attention to what's happening in countries like Canada so that they can be more prepared and galvanized on on their side of the border. Mm -hmm. But in the U.S., there's also numerous examples of religious persecution against Christians who are trying to live out their beliefs in their businesses or in their places of employment. So I'll I'll give some examples. The First Liberty Institute is an organization seeking to fight for religious uh, liberty in, in America. And let me rattle off a short list of some of their current uh, or recent cases. So there's a, a story there of a nurse, a U.S. nurse practitioner who gets a job at a pharmacy, CVS, and says, read out of the gates, my religious convictions are I, I'm not comfortable prescribing uh, hormonal contraceptives. They're like, fine, no problem. You can refer someone who wants that to some other health practitioner. Then they change their mind, and they eventually fire her. So her religious convictions, like, I don't want to give out hormonal contraceptives. Mm -hmm. No problem. You're hired. Then the winds of culture change, and she gets fired for it because of her religious beliefs. So now she she cannot uh, work in that organization. Another example is uh, a couple starts a bakery in Oregon, and a same-sex couple 
comes and says, we want you to do a wedding cake for us. This, this has happened a few times. Mm-hmm. And they say, no, we're not, our religious convictions are, we're not doing a wedding cake for two dudes or two women that are getting married. They are fined 135,000 American dollars for it. And they're fighting that one. A flight attendant with, I, I believe it was Alaska Air, uh, sees her company start to go more and more woke. She posts a comment on their uh, airline page or site or something like that, or chat group, where they're trying to regulate morality. She says, do you think it's possible to regulate morality? Ultimately, the short story is she's fired for it. Mm-hmm. So that's in the United States of America, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, right? So this is not limited to Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is a problem across the Western world. It's all all of these firings and all this intimidation, it's always against Christians or Christianized people. It's never against Muslims, gays, BLM activists, Darwinian evolutionists. It's always, always, always against people that deny biblical authority. Always. And it's like op- it's always open season on anyone that holds to biblical views. So do I think Christianity is going to be outlawed? Absolutely. It's just a matter of time. In the sense that the biblical beliefs that we must stand for for confessional Christians are going to be banned. Not that there won't be some sort of a visible presence of some form of Christianity, probably an aberrant form, a compromised form of Christianity. Not that all the church buildings are going to be sold off, but bona fide, true, biblical Christianity. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Unless there is a, some serious change that happens in our culture, all signs, all signs are pointing toward uh, increasing hostile attacks in the West against biblical Christians. And that's not sensationalistic. The evidence is clearly pointing uh, in that direction. Mm -hmm. So those are some really, I think, clear and helpful legal examples that you've shared. We could talk maybe now a little bit about some social or personal examples. How are Christians being threatened on that level? You might recall uh, several years ago, a Canadian uh, Baptist pastor Steve Long met with uh, our Prime Minister Justin mm-hmm. Trudeau, and, and he said, Justin Trudeau said to him, you know, evangelical Christians are the worst part of Canadian society. Wow. And uh, I don't think he had a recording of that. It wasn't in writing. So it's like, well, do you have any evidence? Well, no, I wasn't recording it. But mm-hmm. we could go back and forth on whether or not that was said. But what's the point? Because the actions of our current prime minister are very much opposed to biblical evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. There's no question. So if you if you think that you need some sort of a, a soundbite, I don't think you do because uh, the validity of, of one's beliefs are demonstrated through their actions. And... Um, he they they speak a thousand words. So he's he's anti-creational marriage. We know that he he is he's comfortable redefining marriage uh, beyond the boundaries of biblical Christianity. He's he's a significant force in the pro-abortion movement, even funding 
the, yeah. the killing of children in, in other countries. He's pro-made. He pushed through the medical assistance and dying bill, basically government-sanctioned suicide. You know, our hospitals have largely become death camps. They are the, the, the auswitches of the modern world. They do much good, but they're killing children to the tune of 100,000 a year, and they're killing people with MAID to the tune of 50,000 people a year. We've met people uh, through our own Christian ministry here at our church who qualified for MAID and were not because of depression. We've met people like that. Um, he's pro LGBTQ. I mean, he can't seem to ever stop talking about it. You know, he, he, somehow he he revels in the idea of sodomite sex. He he revels in the idea of lesbianism. Like he revels in the idea of the transgender movement. I mean, he can't stop talking about it. He just it's like a fixation for him. He. He promoted Bill C-4. He pushed Bill C-4 through. And all the stooges in the other parties just kind of went along with it because they're all about saving face. Mm -hmm. They're disgusting politicians, but they're all about saving face. He's a pro-socialist. He doesn't understand basic economics. He doesn't understand that you don't steal from people and call it taxes. You don't steal from people. He's playing the role of God. You know, God under the, the old covenant law uh, exacted 10%. Tax. He's God. He could have taken 100% of it, but he exacted a 10% tithe. Now we have these uh, po political leaders that are taking 46, 50, 60, 63% of people's income in the form of taxation. They're literally playing the role of God times five, times six. Mm. Uh, he's pro-child mutil mutilation. He does nothing to speak out against children having penises and breasts cut off because someone told him that's a cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. He's absolutely silent on burned down churches, but every time there's even a whisper of a mass grave in some indigenous residential reserve, he's all over that, you know, chastising Europeans, especially implying that it's the, ch it's the church's fault that those things happened. So this guy, he's always in front of the camera. He has the media in his back pocket because most of them are bought and paid for by the state. They're work literally, they're literally working for the state in the most literal sense of the word. If you speak out against him, it's always disinformation and misinformation. I'm not sure what the difference between those two are, but disinformation and misinformation is his his cliche. And then more broadly, look at the kind of nonsense that Christian people, even non-Christian people, have to tolerate in their places of employment. Mm -hmm. Like corporations are big into this these DEI scores, diversity, equity, inclusion. You gotta you gotta demonstrate that you're a, a diversity employer, that you're into radical equity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Some I, I appreciate a friend of mine that says it's actually DIE. Yeah. It's die, because that's where corporations will die. The kind of diversity and equity and inclusion that they're talking about is anti-Christian. It's the complete opposite. It's literally forcing people to affirm sin. You go into Shoppers Drug Mart, which is a big uh, pharmaceutical chain here in Canada, and there's the transgender flag. It's moved from the gay flag to the transgender flag on the door. And some comment about inclusivity. Mm -hmm. That is exclusive. That uh, automatic. That that flag is the antithesis of biblical Christianity. Mm -hmm. Everything about that flag is the antithesis of biblical Christianity. 
you go into the local Zares, which is a big supermarket, not not far from where our church is, and you got to walk across this giant homosexual flag painted on the sidewalk. Can you imagine um, what it must be like being a Christian, having to walk across that, walk walk through the door? You're working there every day. You're you're looking at an antichrist flag. Can you imagine if you said to a Muslim, you know what? If you want to work for us every day, you got to walk through a doorway shaped like a cross. You have to do it, and you can't speak out against it. Mm-hmm. Like that wouldn't fly. But somehow it's okay to force Christians uh, to be exposed to this kind of stuff. Uh, Royal, the Royal Bank of Canada, big national bank, they now go by RBC. Let me let me read a quote from uh, their website, which goes way beyond. Oh, we want we want you to be tolerant. Remember, it used to be about mm-hmm. toleration. It's not about toleration anymore. Toleration and inclusion are very different things. Mm-hmm. It used to be we want you to be tolerant. In other words, just live and let live. Mm-hmm. That was the first step. Yep. Now it's no actively endorse it. Yep. Celebrate. That's the right. DEI. So at RBC, it says on their website, quote, at RBC, you can be confident that you belong and are s- celebrated for both who you are and the ideas you bring to the table. Now, this is under their page on uh, the LGBTQ plus inclusivity Mm -hmm. uh, campaigns that they have. goes on to say, quote, at RBC, our goal, listen to this carefully, is for everyone to speak up for inclusion. To make that a reality, we provide a wide breadth of training and education focused on driving awareness and understanding of LGBTQ plus communities, end quote. So this is beyond toleration. They want to educate you and indoctrinate you. An antichrist, the LGBTQ movement is antichrist. It's anti-Christian. You cannot be a Christian and endorse it. Mm -hmm. It's anti-scripture. It's literally one or the other. You cannot blend the two. There's no blending of the two. They don't blend. They're, 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 they're conflicting ideologies. Every, every faithful biblical Christian knows this, yeah. and that's never going to change. It's the same in 2024 as it was in 24 you know, AD. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same. These are incompatible views on human sexuality and behavior. Mm-hmm. But at RBC, not only are you allowed to live that lifestyle— but you're to be celebrated, and they're going to indoctrinate everyone in your ideology. There's nothing on there about having Bible studies mm-hmm. or even studies in the Quran or the Vedas, but they're going to promote one ideology to the exclusion of all others and shockingly claim that that's inclusive. It's, it's, it's not inclusive at all. It's all smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the government of Canada's job posting. Here's one job posting. Quote, we are committed to providing a healthy and accessible workplace that supports one's dignity, self-esteem, and the ability to achieve one's full potential. With this in mind, all appointees, so meaning new hires, will be expected to take steps to promote and maintain a healthy, respectful, inclusive, and harassment-free work environment. You may say, well, that kind of sounds sort of Christian. I mean... Mm-hmm. Of course, we're not advocating for harassing people and beating up people and yelling at them at work. Christians don't do that, right? That's not what we do. But 
Having said, we got to promote this. It then goes on to say, quote, preference. Okay, well, the word preference doesn't sound very inclusive. Preference may be given to applicants who are members of one or more of the following groups. Listen to this list. Women. So in other words, anyone that's not a man. And then indigenous peoples, persons with disabilities, members of a visible minority. That's not inclusive at all. It's like you have your own little list of pet projects, of people that you think have been disadvantaged, are not being treated equitably, and those are the ones you're going to give preferential attention to. Mm-hmm. God forbid you're a heterosexual male. You know, you're, the, the chances of you getting a job if you're a heterosexual male who's a Christian and one of these big corporations is, is going to soon become next in, to zero. So that's not the kind of uh, inclusion. Then we have burning churches. Chris, we have seen 33, at least 33, some say up to 80, 33 Christian churches of various denominations burned in Canada, and only two of them have been ruled accidental. Mm-hmm. Can, and most of it's connected with uh, the allegations surrounding the uh, um, Indian residential schools, and yep. we've podcasted on that before. Okay, yep. it's a classic example of status totalitarianism gone awry. The subcontractors of the government, which foolishly were the Catholic Church, which violated categories of sphere of sovereignty by signing up for the job, should be held to account. But they're burning their churches down, largely Catholic churches, and you think of them as the subcontractor. Who's the contractor to the residential schools? The state. Nobody's burning down parliament buildings. Mm-hmm. Nobody's burning down government buildings. And if they did, can you imagine yeah. how quickly the prime minister or premiers would take to the radio or the internet or the media and be like chastising these anarchists who are burning down houses of government? But it's okay to burn down the subcontractors' places of worship. Mm-hmm. They say nothing about it. So what this is, silence in the face of evil is approval of evil. Mm. Silence in the face of evil is approval of evil. So as these churches burn burn to the ground, the government's approving it. Mm. They're approving it. They're signaling to the populace it's okay to attack property belonging to the church. It's okay to burn houses of worship. It's okay to exclude Christians uh, conscientious Christians from working at our corporations. It's okay to exclude them from our banks. It's okay to in- indoctrinate them in godless mm-hmm. ideologies, and we'll even help pay for it, and we'll promote it, and we'll mm-hmm. use the police. Check this out. The police, our last line of defense, we'll use the police to in- to affirm our tyranny. But Chris, this is what you get when 20 to 30% of the population is working for the state. Yeah, yep. And because nobody wants to lose their job. And when you have um, these godless ideologies having hijacked our universities, again, being taught by professors essentially paid for with tax dollars, um, a combination of tuition and tax-funded universities, this this is what you get. They, they have all the cards, uh, but what we still do have, by the way, is the truth. And ultimately, the truth uh, can prevail against evil, but it needs to be spoken. Mm-hmm. So as you think about these issues the the attack on the church the attack on christians the trajectory towards christianity being outlawed one natural question who's to blame like Mm -hmm. you mentioned the government maybe that's the first thing i don't know what do you think 
Well, I am hard on the government and I am hard on officials, but I actually believe that the first responsibility lies with the Christian church. I think the Christian church is primarily responsible for these problems in uh, in our countries. And uh, there's many reasons for that. Uh, part of it is a theological problem. Sometimes we call it two kingdoms theology. Uh, this uh, Billy Graham theology, this notion that salvation is just about, you know, getting you ready for the next life and, you know, to hell with the world around you is sort of the implication of that, that mindset. Or that, you know, the kingdom of God is just all about the world to come, uh, or that the laws of God don't apply to culture. It's just, you know, whatever you do, don't moralize people. They might not understand that they need to be saved by grace. That's the mindset. You know, God forbid if you actually call your, um, you know, heathen neighbor uh, to account for breaking God's laws. Mm -hmm. There's this radical dualism between the world of the now and the world to come. So there's a, a, a theological correction that needs to be made where people need to realize that, no, God's laws actually do apply to cultures. Mm -hmm. uh, God yep. still, in fact, you don't even have a gospel without law yep. because there's nothing that you're being saved from. If you're, not, if you're not awakened to your own sin through the proclamation of the law, of God's standards, if you're not accountable to obey God's laws, then why, what are you being saved from? How can, you, how can you say to someone in a court of law, you are guilty of breaking this law and we're sending you to jail if the law you're referring to is non-existent? From another country. <laughs> we, gotta, we, yeah. we have to preach the laws of God into culture so that people understand their sin and their need for a savior. And also law has a restraining effect mm -hmm. on the worst of the worst of the worst of human behavior. So there's a theological issue. There's also a failure among many Christians to address true social justice issues. We, we, I've seen so many Christians, you know, during the, uh, the residential school fiasco there a couple years ago, immediately they throw the Every Child Matters logo on their Facebook profile. They, they don't understand what it is. They don't really know what they're fighting for. It's just, well, little Indian children were butchered by some sadistic Catholic priest. That's the narrative. So we're just going to post the picture. But look, I, I, I am not a fan in any way, shape, or form of residential schools any more than I'm a fan of the public school system. It's essentially the same thing in many respects. It's the indoctrination of your children by a state that does not have authority to indoctrinate your children in ideologies that are that are unhelpful. So um, I'm not a fan of the residential school system. It is a violation of sphere authority. But I do not believe that the primary purpose of the Every Child Matter movement is to reconcile that. I believe it's part of the broader cultural Marxist agenda to undermine Christianity, yeah. right? To put Christianity as they see it expressed in culture on its heels to push it back to say Christianity's bad, Christianity abuses kids, Christianity secretly buries kids, secretly Christianity steals freedom, Christianity steals liberty, Christianity bad. Yep. Marxism good, mm -hmm. communism good, socialism good, globalism good, mm -hmm. WEF good. New world order, good. This is the trust the state. Don't trust the Christians. Trust the state. So that's where, just in summary, why I push back against that. But basic matters of justice. How is it possible? I don't know what his religious persuasion is. How is it possible that Billboard Chris, 
who's a an, an anti-transgender cutting parts off kids advocate who's traveling all over the world. How is it possible that he is running circles around the Christian church? Mm-hmm. If there's a pastor listening to this podcast that has never addressed this heinous sin in our culture, you need to repent or resign. This is a basic matter uh, matter of justice in our culture. And yet so many Christians, I don't want to offend my neighbor. They, they just don't care. They don't care about the fact that babies are being butchered by the tens of thousands in our country. They don't care. They say they care, but they don't actually care because they don't preach against it. They don't care that children as young as 8, 9, 10, 12 are having body parts cut off to supposedly pretend to be the opposite sex. They just don't care. They're too busy preaching Billy Graham theology. Oh, just make sure you're trusting in Jesus. How's your relationship with Jesus? Are you following the four spiritual laws? Are you doing your Bible study every day? Jesus is coming back. Just get ready for that. No concern, apparently, about the here and now. Passive idiots is what many of them are. And they will give an account to God for their ignorance and for their willful disregard of the injustices that are taking place in our culture. Failure to preach on these hard topics. I heard of two pastors lately, a lead pastor and a worship pastor, pastoring a conservative Baptist church, both of whom have children that have strayed into homosexuality. Well, that's going to happen on occasion, but how is it possible that this is happening regularly among Christians, two pastors in the same church? Are you kidding me? Where Were you asleep at the wheel when your children were being catechized in these false ideologies? Like, what were you permitting them to be exposed to? What were you permitting them to get away with? Were you not preaching these issues? Were you not pleading with your children to conform with God's laws in your home? Were you not taking seriously your task and responsibility to raise your children for Christ? Like, were you asleep at the wheel? How is it possible that time and time and time again, we have examples of Christian pastors who have Bibles in front of them, who suppose they're orthodox in their doctrine, who raise children to become rank pagans, mm-hmm even promoting. I heard of another pastor that attended the wedding of his gay daughter. Do you not understand? You're not a guest to a wedding. You're a witness to a sacred covenant. Your presence is an affirmation Mm -hmm. at the covenant. He also needs to repent of that and stop making excuses in the name of, quote, unquote, loving his daughter or loving your son. So, Generally speaking, I would go so far as to say, you know, there's exceptions to this because oftentimes kids stray even in the best of parent parenting situations. But generally speaking, your kids reflect your values mm-hmm. or lack thereof. Or your kids' words reflect your words or your kids' words reflect your silence, yeah. your lack of words. And so I hate to be categorical, but it's generally true. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he's gold, uh, way he's um, to go, and when he's yep. old, he will not depart. So the opposite is then true. If you don't train him up, he's going to depart. That's a proverbial truth. It's not categorical, but it's proverbial. Yep. Generally speaking, children turn out in accordance with the way they were raised. Mm-hmm. And too many Christians who've been entrusted with this beautiful stewardship of, ch- of children are turning their kids over to the pagans to be educated, not addressing the issues of the day, passive on the subject, all they're concerned about, did you trust in Jesus? Mm-hmm. That's all they seem to be concerned about. And finally, Chris, we have so many nice guy pastors uh, who uh, they just 
don't seem to have the balls, pardon my language, they don't seem to have the balls, or if you prefer, if you want me to be more polite, the intestinal fortitude, mm-hmm. or if you want me to be even more polite, the backbone, to speak up against the evils of our day because they're terrified of the pushback they're going to get. And the pushback can be painful. I know what it's like. Mm-hmm. The pushback can be painful. Let me just share this passage from 1 Timothy chapter 1 to all the anti-law people out there, the antinomians who say, you know, it's just about getting to heaven. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, the Bible says, now we know that the law is good. By the way, folks, that's in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's The law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, how do we use the word of the laws of God lawfully? We don't use the word of God lawfully by saying, oh, if you obey the law, God's going to grant you the gift of salvation. You're going to be justified by obedience to the law. That would be heresy. But there still is a lawful way of using God's laws. Understanding this, the Bible says, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So so I, I guess Paul apparently was okay with the idea of preaching God's laws to these sorts of people. Find pastors today that are doing that. Oh, we don't do that. We don't want to moralize them. We don't want them to think that that's how they get to heaven. Well, who's preaching that? We're certainly not preaching that. Mm -hmm. It goes on to say, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. We're not anti-law. We're pro-law. We're pro-morals. We're pro-preaching the laws of God. You just need to understand their proper place in a properly ordered society. So first, and maybe I'm getting a little hot under the collar. I need a drink of water here. (laughs) But first I would say... The responsibility is the failure of the church. And until the church cleans up its act and purifies itself and stops acting like a bunch of passive wimps, there is no hope for our country. Because God uses his church, sanctified and faithful, to win people to Christ and to restrain evil in a culture. He's always done that. Mm-hmm. Can I just break in and Jump let you guys drink of water? Um I find it very fascinating looking back in history and history in the rearview mirror is a lot easier to say, well, that's what you should have done to oppose slavery because you see it pragmatically that it worked or the the pathway, whereas going into the future, you're like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you have to speak. That's the whole walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, people, people are, uh, it perplexes me how, it doesn't seem like people have the capacity. They have the capacity to look back on history when someone else has analyzed history and say, oh, that was wrong. Well, how could we possibly have done that? But in the moment, there seems to be so few people that can see in the moment when something's wrong. Mm-hmm. They can only see it when someone analyzes it in a future generation after the destruction's been done, right? Yeah. And this is what those of us um, that are involved in the the, the the culture wars that are trying to be, in a sense, prophetic voices mm-hmm. to warn the Christian church, you can turn the podcast off, you know, and, and, and go listen to yet another sermon on how to get saved and get to heaven. 
or how to you know be nice to your to your wife or make lots of money by handling your money properly. There's nothing wrong with those subjects. But if you are deliberately avoiding the evils of our day, you're being irresponsible, and you will be you will be one of the ones recorded in history who just turned a blind eye. So mm-hmm. primarily the church. Very quickly, secondly, passive, silent, cowardly voters. The car is being driven toward a cliff at 100 miles an hour, and there's other parties out there running for office that are saying, hey, vote for us because we're only going to drive you off the cliff at 50 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. We're going to slow down the the, um, the the imminent death. Well, and it's amazing how many Christians just jump on that bandwagon. Uh they're not they don't seem to be principled they're they're far too pragmatic in their voting they we keep voting for people who are either headed toward the cliff at 100 miles an hour or 50 miles an hour well how about silent passive voters electing people to office who are going to turn the car around mm-hmm. and you know who they will be christians faithful biblical christians not libertarians the libertarians are not going to fix the country they're not going to fix the country they just want to decentralize authority so all authority is on them. Mm-hmm. Libertarianism is not the solution to this crisis. Right. Kicking the commies out of the country is not the solution to this crisis. The only people that can turn this country around politically are those that actually believe in biblical values and are willing to push for it. And in moments of crisis, that's your time to stand up. Third, officials in that order. Most officials who are supposed to be protecting us, courts that are supposed to be protecting us under our charter from tyranny, politicians that are supposed to be protecting us, they're all in on it. They're all in on it, with very, very few exceptions. You're not going to be protected by the police services. No way. They're going to do whatever they're told. The police chiefs are not going to protect you. They're going to do whatever the politicians are told. The politicians are not going to protect you. The politicians don't act like democratically elected representatives. I mean, that, the, the days of them taking into consideration the people as a whole, those are those are long gone. Mm-hmm. The only thing they're concerned about is, this, is the special activist groups, the people that yell and holler and successfully get their flag in the city flagpole. That's the only people they're really concerned about because they're cowards and wimps, and they're, they're desperate for attention, and they're bullies. They love bullies. Politicians are in bed with the bullies. And this is, this is if you think that you're protected because of the Canadian court system? If you think yeah. you're protected because there's police driving up and down your street every every other day, good luck. They're not going to protect you, folks. Your, your, your last line of defense is God. And until God is bought, brought back in, there's national repentance, uh, the country is going to continue to, to uh, drive toward the cliff. Again, it's the perfect storm. We have a passive, wimpy church. Then we have a quote-unquote part of the church that's actually in bed with the enemy. They're actually promoting mm-hmm. these godless ideologies. And then you have 20 to 30% of the population working for social health care, working for uh, police services, working for the university, working for the public school as bureaucrats and technocrats in office with their padded OMERS pensions. And their government pensions, they're not going to lose their job. Very, very few of them are going to stick their neck out and lose their job. And they're going to vote for whatever party offers them the next pay raise. They're not going to vote for you. Mm -hmm. Democracy in our country is a farce. It's a farce. 
We don't live in a country where the government is representing the people as a whole. It's special interest groups. Mm-hmm. It's people that work for them. It's they're they're it's um, offering raises to themselves while taking money from the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. Okay, the whole system is broke, and so uh, electing people into office who are just going to slow the car down a little bit is 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 not a solution that mm-hmm. that I would certainly stand behind. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot, lot to take in there. Um, switching gears a little bit to now proactively thinking, what's our response? Obviously, we've talked about the various levels. We're not. I'm not a government official, but I am a pastor, so I can address that. What can the individual listening to in their sphere of authority do? I'm going to give you four words to start with ours. We need to repent, we need to resolve, we need to reform, and we need to retool. So under repentance, each individual listening to this, to the degree that they have been complicit in the decay of culture, in the outlawing of Christianity, either by actively promoting it in the past or being silent, needs to repent. Mm -hmm. The prophets constantly chastise God's old covenant people for turning a blind eye to the widow and the orphan. And that's what we're doing. We're turning a blind eye to the widow and the orphan when we're not saying anything, and the state is literally taxing people to death, stealing their wealth, pushing through bills like Bill C-4 Mm -hmm. or potentially Bill C-367, outlawing religious freedom and religious speech, while demanding to educate our kids, while forcibly uh, closing down our churches, they need to repent. There needs to be uh, personal repentance, and in the case of churches, organizations, or institutions, there needs to be corporate repentance, and it starts with you mm-hmm. modeling that. That's there good. needs to be resolve. I tweeted this out uh, a day or two ago that, you know, here's my statement toward um, Bill C-367, it's from Acts 5. Here's what it says in Acts 5, verses 40 to 42. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That's what the Bible says. That's our resolve. To our enemies and to our opponents, we are resolved. There will always be a faithful remnant who act this way. It might be a very small remnant, but you will always have opposition to your godless, tyrannical, death-bringing agendas. Mm -hmm. The Word of God will triumph, Christ will win, and in the end, you will be judged. There's no question about that. You can call me a fundamentalist, a far-right, Looney Tune, an extremist, I could care less. You will lose, and Christ will win. And he will win. He will get the glory that is due his name, because in every generation, he will raise up a faithful remnant by God's grace, Mm -hmm. by God's grace, who he will use to bring victory over the darkness. Third, reform. We need to push for reform on every level. If you have any influence in any tier or level of society, you need to push for reform in the boardroom in the policy department, in the budgetary processes, from the pulpit, pulpit, from the the, 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 cl- the classroom, uh, from behind the classroom desk. Wherever you, you are placed in culture, you need to push for reform. And then I would say, be prepared for the storm. If we were told today, you know, the Germans are sending, uh, you know, all of their aircraft to, to bomb our city, 
people would plan for that. They'd hunker down. They'd stock up on food and water and make sure they find themselves a safe place. Well, we need to think about what are the implications. The government's primary tool to, to coerce Christians is generally financial. So he's going to take your job away. You won't be able to apply for jobs at RBC and be a conscientious Christian. You won't be able to spend your money at shoppers or Starbucks, these other institutions that are flying the flag. So you need to rethink your income streams. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not opposed to people infiltrating and bringing about change in all the corporations. I'm not saying everyone should resign from the government positions. But you need to think about the fact, are you willing to give up your cushy retirement pension for the sake of your faith, for the sake of your mm -hmm. Christ? Mm -hmm. Are you indebted to the state? Or are you taking active steps to become less indebted to the state? Mm -hmm. if, if you are indebted to the state, you are far more susceptible to being manipulated. Like, again, I, I know the, the financial stewards, uh, planners aren't going to like this, but one of the things I'm seeing is people are still in the process of thinking about, oh, I got my money, I'm going to I'm going to carry a bunch of debt so I can invest my assets in interest-earning stocks, bonds, schemes, whatever they might be, ones that work, ones that don't. But they're still carrying massive amounts of debt on their homes or on their cars or on their credit cards. Well, it only takes a click of the fingers for them to freeze your bank accounts or for them to cut you off from having your mortgage renewed. Maybe maybe you have to sign some DEI form to get a mortgage renewal. You're screwed. Mm -hmm. So what happens when the mortgage lenders force you, let's say this happens, force you to sign off on some diversity, equity, and inclusion policy to, for them to lend you money? And you got this massive mortgage because you've decided to invest it in the stock market or mutual funds. You're screwed. So Christians need to do everything within their power to pay off their debt. Even if you lose a bit of interest in the marketplace, be smart. Pay off your debt. If you don't pay off your debt and they come for you, it's going to be rather difficult to feel any pity for you. It'll be your fault. So pay off your debt. Stop supporting, I know it might not be totally possible, but stop voluntarily supporting heathen businesses. Mm. Like do a little Google search. If this coffee shop or drugstore or department store is channeling money to the enemies of Christ, go elsewhere. Like it's basic stuff. And yet still I see Christians wandering around with merchandise they have deliberately and voluntarily purchased from organizations that hate Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. You're helping them pay for that. Yep. Why would you be doing that? So again, it's not like you're going to spend every waking moment of every hour researching every name brand to see where they stand in all the issues. But the ones that are especially bold and brash about it, you know who they are. Mm -hmm. Stop giving them your money. Mm -hmm. Spend your money uh, elsewhere. And I, I just think that's a strategic response to, to retool to um, you're, you're never going to be 100% protected. There's no plan that will say, I'm 100% protected from tyranny. Okay, you could do everything in your power, financially and otherwise, and they could still come for you. But there's some basic things that we can do to protect ourselves and to protect our assets and to protect our family. Why would we not do that? And finally, Chris, I'll just say, and then we sit back if we're doing the right thing and we wait for God to bring judgment upon our land. Because I have a suspicion Prior to true national repentance, there's going to be more judgment. It's going to actually get worse. There may be a little slowing down of the car 
in in the days to come, and then it'll speed up again. Mm-hmm. Just give you a little bit of time to to breathe, to forget about the nonsense, to settle down a little bit, and then it'll be back a half a generation or a generation from now. So God needs to complete his work of judgment upon our nation, I think, to bring her to her knees. I actually don't think our country's going to last long term. Uh, no nation has. Uh, you know, we might get another 50 to 100 years. Who knows? Maybe that'll be stretched out. This country, as it stands, will fall. If it does not surrender itself to God and his laws, it will fall. Uh, the question is, you know, will we be part of bringing about reform and delaying that, or will we be part of the problem? Mm-hmm. Um, but mark my words, uh, there will come a time, it's already upon us in in certain measure, when faith, the faithful biblical Christianity in its fullest public expression will be, and I would argue already has be, been to some degree outlawed in the country of Canada. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, not very good, but very clear. Very clear. Thank you, Aaron, for that. It's a, a sobering message and a, uh, a one that hopefully our listeners put into practice, thinking through. Um, we'd encourage you to download the Beachhead Media app if you have not already done so. And on the Beachhead Media app, you can find this podcast as well as a variety of other ones. And we're still adding content to that, trying to uh, go back and add old podcasts. They'll be there shortly. Um, so you can do that. You can like and subscribe to the podcast on various other platforms as well and uh, share it out hopefully on social media to get the word out so that people are hearing and being equipped and awakened to what's going on in our culture. So thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks to our listeners. Hope you can tune in next time to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.